Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. In yesterday's primary, voters in Illinois cast ballots for everything from the presidential race to the state Supreme Court. One race that got a lot of attention was for Cook County State's attorney. Three challengers took on incumbent Kim Fox, but Fox came out on top, and she joins us now. State's attorney Kim Fox, congratulations on your win. Tell us what this campaign has been like for you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, It's been a real exercise in talking to the people of Cook County about the issues that that matter. You know, there was a singular effort to to focus on one case um, as opposed to the larger issues at play around an unequal justice system, a history of wrongful convictions, and a persistent epidemic of violence um, in some of our communities. So it afforded me a chance to engage with people who are impacted by the system to learn Um, from them and to make sure that our policy decisions were fair and just. Well, as you alluded to there, your opponents attacked you over the Jesse Smollett case, but you made it clear that you were running on the work you had done to change the way we think about criminal justice. Remind people what your goals were when you first took office almost four years ago. The goal four years ago was to transform the way we use the prosecutor's office to be more fair and just. Uh, Quite honestly, we had a persistent violence problem, and our resources weren't going towards fighting violent crime. They were going towards low-level, nonviolent offenses that saw a lot of people who were caught up in the justice system needlessly, who could be dealt with outside of it, while at the same time, we weren't targeting people who were driving violence in our communities. We had a horrible homicide clearance rate, a horrible shooting clearance rate. We had a gun epidemic. Um, And I believe that that's where our resources should go. So transforming the way we looked at our resources and going after violent crime. And talk about the progress you think you've made on those fronts. I think we've made uh, great progress, but we certainly have a a long way to go. Uh, We've created the first of its kind gun crime strategies unit where we placed our prosecutors in our hardest hit neighborhoods of violence. At University of Chicago just did a study a few months ago that found that where our prosecutors were, um, there was a larger decrease in violent crime than in places where we weren't. Uh, But we still have work to do there. The guns are the number one prosecutor defense in our office outside of drug cases, uh, which wasn't the case in in 2016. It was retail theft. Um, And so our gun prosecutions have gone up and our convictions on gun cases have gone up. And at the same time, we've worked on conviction integrity, vacating 100 plus wrongful convictions, the work that we're doing on marijuana expungement, things that we believe, you know, allow people to get a second chance to contribute to our communities and keep our communities safe. Well, the Fraternal Order of Police protested in front of your office last week. They say they think you're taking the wrong approach. But what do you say to to them, to the average officer who thinks you're giving criminals a break? The voters have spoken. Uh, They spoke in 2016 when we ran on this platform, and they spoke again yesterday, uh, that they believe that our criminal justice system is in need of reform. And this is an effort that we can do together. Uh, The men and women of the Chicago Police Department and our law enforcement partners are actually partners in this work. And the officers that I speak to who come into our courtrooms every day want our communities to be safe, and they want our system to be fair. 
And for retailers and shop owners who believe that your rule that says shoplifters accused of taking less than $1,000 won't be charged with a felony encourages crime, I I think we can agree that it doesn't make sense to jail a hungry person who steals a loaf of bread. But is there any thought of dropping that number to say $500? You know, we have one of the lowest felony thresholds for retail theft in the country. You know, Wisconsin's threshold is $2,000. Minnesota is $1,000. Iowa and Indiana are twice as much as we have here. And so the number is, it wasn't arbitrarily picked. It was in line with what are the national trends. And what we want to do and are continuing to do is have conversations with retailers and state legislators to see if we can get our um, threshold in line with the rest of the country. I remind retailers that, you know, Governor Rauner, um, who wasn't seen as a progressive champion, even he recommended that the felony threshold for retail theft in Illinois be $2,000. And so we're working uh, with everyone to to hear the concerns and make sure that we have a law uh, that makes sense for Illinoisans. Well, everyone has their data sets, of course. What numbers do you have to show that your approach is working for Cook County? I mean, I think we use a couple different data sets. One, you know, the Chicago Police Department, we use their data related to violent crime. And as we've been able to show, or their data has shown, that violent crime had gone down in the city of Chicago from 2000, the end of 2016 um, through 2019. Again, that data being analyzed by University of Chicago shows where we were with our gun crime strategies unit having an even larger impact. We've also looked at, you know, state uh, IDOC, Illinois Department of Correction data that has seen a drop in the number of people who are going to the Department of Corrections on low-level offenses um, by one data set I saw by 20%. And so, you know, I think what we're being able to see by looking at the data is that you can have criminal justice reform and public safety at the same time, uh, but it requires all of us working together on the same mission, which is utilizing our resources wisely. Well, looking ahead to the fall, you'll face Republican Patrick O'Brien in November. What will you be focusing on between now and then? How are you preparing for that race? Yeah, again, reminding the voters of Cook County about what our priorities are um, and where we stand. You know, we are now a national leader in criminal justice reform, um, demonstrating that this approach uh, is what is necessary in order for us to have safe communities Um, and being able to distinguish our path from what I anticipate, you know, my opponent's path will be, which is to go back into the past. Um, This is someone who has already articulated that he didn't think that there was anything wrong with our criminal justice system and wants to go back to the days of the 80s and 90s, in which we know um, is when the system was most fraught and had its biggest challenges. So reminding people of what's at stake and continuing the good work that we do every day in the state's attorney's office. That's Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox, who won our Democratic primary last night in Illinois. Kim Fox, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jen. Have a good one. I want to turn now to another winner in last night's primary, a congressman who ran unopposed. Representative Sean Caston is the congressman in the 6th District, where Republican Jeannie Ives easily won the Republican primary. The 6th District includes Downers Grove, Wheaton, Algonquin, and Palatine. Congressman Caston is on the line with us now. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Nice to talk to you today. So you ran unopposed in yesterday's primary, so now the race really starts for you. What are you preparing for ahead of Election Day in November? You know, I think we're at a moment where it is critically important, and I think we're realizing in this in this COVID crisis that government needs to govern right now. 
And we need to make sure that we have health care for folks who need it. My goodness, we're realizing that today. We need to recognize that that science isn't fundamentally democratic and you can't ignore scientists. And whether that's from climate change to pandemics, we need to have those resources in place. And we need to make sure that we got a social safety net for folks who aren't there. My, you know, my opponent has said that they want to replace Obamacare with, with an HSA system, has said that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme, and, and um, that, that somehow I'm an alarmist for saying we've got to deal with climate change. That's not true. It's also not the values of the district, and I will be running on, the, on my values, which are shared with the values of the district. Well, your district has been a Republican stronghold for decades until the blue wave of 2018 when you came into, into office. And Jeannie Ives gained a lot of support when she ran for governor against Republican Bruce Rauner, only narrowly losing to him. How do you appeal to the priorities of conservative voters in your district? I, I don't really see much difference between, between conservative voters and liberal voters. I've only been a politician for two years. I've spent most of my life as a, as a CEO and entrepreneur in, in the sciences. And fundamentally, I don't think the values of this district are that different today than they were 10 years ago. It's an educated district that believes in science. We're right between Argonne and Fermilab. It's a district that believes the U.S. should be the leader of the free world, um, that the post-World War II order and the rule of law is worth defending. The Trump-led Republican Party does not share those values. Those values used to be pretty mainstream Republican center, you know, center left, center right values. And I think what's happened is not so much that the that the Democratic Party persuaded people that our values were right as much as that under Donald Trump, the Republican Party has really run so far to the right that they're just out of sync with where the district is right now. Well, Congressman, I, I want to know more about the conversations you're having with your colleagues in Congress right now in light of the pandemic uh, that we're experiencing. Um, everything is in flux right now and in real time. We, you know, number one, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands the severity of what's going on. We are seeing cases double every three days in this country. If we don't bend the curve, we are going to have a million cases in the country by early April. That's just the math of this dynamic. And so it is critical that everybody take the social distancing seriously um, and go through there. The, you know, the first measures we did were to make sure that we provided significant expansions in funding for vaccines and treatments. Um, the second batch of bills that we did was to make sure that we were getting economic assistance to those who were affected, providing free testing, providing food security, unemployment insurance, extended time off. That's, of course, the bill that the, that the Senate is now hopefully going to finalize that we passed in the House. And now, as, you know, as you've seen today, there is this huge conversation around what do we do in what is going to be a massive economic crisis as folks stay home from work, airlines don't flow, sports teams don't go. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, you know, talk of trillions of dollars of stimulus package. I think it's going to be critical as we work through this to make sure that we are we are addressing the economic crisis today and not just the economic crisis of 2008, where we know what those tools are. Some of those tools will be right, but this is a different kind of economic crisis. And I've hopped off this call and have to hop right back on with uh, my colleagues on the Financial Services Committee as we think about um, what we're going to do on everything from student loan to housing systems, what you know, what happens if people can't pay their mortgage during this period, um, and everything's on the table, trying to figure out that we, uh, we cover this as, uh, as prudently and responsibly as we can. That's Illinois Congressman Sean Kasten. Congressman, thanks for speaking with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Stay safe. 
Turning back to other races in yesterday's primary, after the votes were counted, some incumbents stayed up, some were sent home, and former Vice President Joe Biden continues to roll. Democratic voters gave Joe Biden a clean sweep. The former vice president beat Senator Bernie Sanders in Florida, Illinois, and Arizona. Let me say especially to the young voters who have been inspired by Senator Sanders, I hear you. I know what's at stake. I know what we have to do. Our goal as a campaign and my goal as a candidate for president is to unify this party and then to unify the nation. A very happy Kim Fox tonight, thanking her family, thanking her supporters. She got the Democratic win tonight. To everyone who rallied around this race that made it bigger uh, than one thing, one issue, who rejected the notion that we would talk about one singular case and not what mattered to the people of Cook County and put everything on the line for this, I thank you. Marie Newman defeated incumbent Dan Lipinski in the Democratic primary last night by a narrow margin. I'm just bursting with pride and gratitude for the amazing coalition who helped bring this much needed change to our district. WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKenney is here to take us deeper into those races. Hi, Dave. Welcome back. Hey, good afternoon, Jen. So biggest takeaways of the night for you? Well, I think that, you know, uh, Joe Biden put an exclamation point on his campaign with the win last night uh, here in Illinois, coupled with the wins in Arizona and Florida. I mean, it it just seems like, you know, he is on a steamroller to the to the nomination for his party's, uh, you know, uh, there's just not any real way I don't see to stop him. I mean, he in Illinois here, I mean, the the spread was 23 percentage points. It wasn't even close. And that's after, you know, four years ago. Sanders pulled, uh, I mean, he came very close to uh, upsetting Hillary Clinton here. It was a two-point spread. But here, uh, Biden just, he won in the suburbs. He won in the city. Uh, He won, you know, just across the board, suburbanites, older people. Um, So, you know, that's, that's that's the dynamic in play. But you know, I think that we're in a, this coronavirus issue has created such a, a strange dynamic with our politics now. I mean, people like um, have, have tuned out to government and to politics at times because it's boring or it doesn't affect them, they think. But here we are in this moment of time in our country where we're in a crisis and government matters and our politics matter. And I think that, you know, these campaigns, as they calibrate what their messaging is going to be moving forward, it's, it's basically you tear up everything that's happened before and you focus on what is going to be mattering to people moving forward. And I think that's what the Biden campaign, the Trump campaign, I think that's what they all are going to be focused on. So what does this mean for the Sanders campaign? We saw in the last debate um, just over the weekend him really connecting the COVID-19 pandemic to the need for universal health care in the United States. But is there is there a chance of his campaign regaining some traction at this point. I don't see that, but I do think that the Sanders campaign represents a really important constituency. His supporters are some of the most passionate people in politics and they matter and they're they're young people, they're diverse. They they, they for Democrats it, this is this is part of the pulse of the party. You heard Biden in the, the clip we played where he's, he's wanting to bring those people into the fold and give them a voice. And, you know, how does Biden do that? Well, maybe he picks up some of these points in, in the, the Sanders platform, you know, on health care, on student loans and speak to those people and draw them in. That will be his key to success. Well, in addition to the presidential race, Dave, we talked earlier about the state's attorney race and a couple of congressional races, but I want to turn to a few other local contests on the ballot. Let's look at the seat up for grabs on the Illinois State Supreme Court. Remind us what's going on there. 
The Supreme Court has seven seats on it, and it's controlled by Democrats. And the way the Constitution's written, there are three seats in Cook County, and this is one of those Cook County seats. It was held by the late uh, Justice, Chief Justice Charles Freeman. Uh, he was the only African American on the court, first one in fact, and uh, he chose to retire a couple of years ago. And his replacement is uh, Justice P. Scott Neville. So Neville was on the ballot this time for a ten-year term. Uh, this race has still not been called by the Associated Press. Uh, Neville is is up 24% roughly, uh, and, and uh, he's the second-place person is an appellate court justice named Jesse Reyes, who is at 21%. You know, there's 98% of the vote counted here. It's a little hard to see how that, that spread narrows, but as I said, AP has not called that race yet. Let's turn to the Cook County clerk's race. What happened there last night? You know, again, it's another race that has not been called by AP. 98% of the, the precincts have been counted. State Senator Iris Martinez is ahead pretty decisively, I think, in looking at these numbers. She's got 34%. And then uh, in second place is Michael Car- Cabanargi, who uh, he's at 27%. You know, what most people who have been in their living rooms over the last month or so have seen are these commercials that Kevin Archie keeps airing about, how do you say my last name? And I think I got it right there. But he had a lot of money spent on television advertising, and it doesn't appear that that is going to get him over the hump here. Were there any other races that that surprised you? I think that the one that, you know, probably was the biggest headline of the night was in the third congressional district, Marie Newman uh, defeating Congressman Bill Lipinski. And I understand that Congressman Lipinski is going to be making a statement uh, about his uh, campaign at 2.30 this afternoon, which WBEZ will be covering. And I think that is a, a big victory for, uh, you know, progressive democratic politics. Uh, women's groups were very involved, abortion rights groups involved. And so Newman has pulled this out, you know, and, and she won it on the strength, I think, of, of the suburban vote. So between now and November, what will you be watching in some of these runoff elections? Well, again, I think, you know, our, our politics are so upside down right now. And I think that, that, you know, there's such a hunger in the world about information on the coronavirus. And so I think it's going to be up to, to politicians of all stripes who are on the ballot from top to bottom to figure out how they can best help people deal with this problem. And it, it, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the state level or the federal level, county level. That's right now all that is on people's minds. And, and I think, you know, I think in any of these campaigns, you know, that's going to be kind of the, the true benchmark about the ones that succeed and the ones that don't. That's WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKenney. Dave, thanks. Thanks, Jen. And that's today's Reset. For all the latest news, updates and information about COVID-19, go to WBEZ.org slash coronavirus. And if you're new to Reset's podcast, welcome. And if you're hunkered down at home, well, go back and check out past podcasts. We cover the news that matters to you most and talk to people who are working to make their Chicago communities the best they can. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.